Hi, this is Dusty Wells. And this is Dave Clark. And you're listening to I I Love Love to Tell Tell the Story. Having worked in the Christian music business for the last 40 years and working alongside the record companies and the artists, (laughs) let me assure you, my friends, we've got some great stories for you. Dusty and I started about the same time in the industry, but I've been working on the other side of the street with songwriters and publishers and copyright administration. But either way, trust me, between the two of us, we know where all the bodies are buried. I hope you enjoy our show. I I love love to to tell tell the story. father-in-law loaned me the money he got money on a, a collateral for his car at the time it was eleven thousand dollars and i was downstairs uh, at the, in the basement of where kojo which later became klty was was uh headquartered in dallas randy adams was the engineer nate saban produced and when it was finished and mixed randy adams took it upstairs to the people up top and said play this uh you need to listen to this you may want to play this on the radio and the next thing i know i'm getting a telephone call from the radio station saying uh can we play this on the air and i'm like sure i'm i'm not anybody i didn't know i didn't have a record company i didn't have any i was just hoping to pay back the cost of the album get my Wow. Father-in-law's car uh, taken care of. And, and it, they they played it one time and they told me when they were going to play it. And when they introduced it, they said, we have a, a new artist recorded downstairs. This is a new song off of his project and we're going to um, play it. You let us know what you think about it. It was a song called I Choose to Be a Christian. <laughs> and uh, the punchline was, Nobody's holding a gun to my head. This is what I choose to do. <laughs> now, did you write that by yourself? I did. I was thinking you did. And um, so they got overwhelming response, yes. put it in a rotation, and eventually got in heavy rotation and was the number one yeah. song on Kojo. <laughs> and nobody else in the country even knew about it. What was so crazy about that time, I had just... Uh, LaVon and I had just moved to Dallas-Fort Worth and was working for Sparrow Records. So I would go meet with the folks from Kojo and everything. They would tell me about it. And then I started hearing the song on the radio. Every time I'd be listening, which I, you have to understand, that became KLTY. John Rivers, one of the biggest, right. one of the, probably one of the most, to me, it was a super station of Christian music. Absolutely. Everybody wanted their music He was a played. superstar. He was, he was a superstar. He made or, he, he, he would no. make an artist or break or, an artist. You're right. There's no and doubt. He, he and Brad Burkhart. That's exactly right. And he'd play that song. So I started, I called on Christian bookstores and sold music. And I'll never forget, I went into Joshua's Christian bookstore, which was a huge chain of bookstores back then. 
And they asked me about it. I said, I don't know. I just heard it on the radio. Well, I love Dad. Dad just told me they called him because it was a chain of bookstores there in the Metroplex area. And, Dan, what did they say to you? They they said, we want to carry your product exclusively. Now, <laughs> now remember this. I'm, I'm trying to pay for the album. <laughs> I love it. And I'm like... I'm selling five or ten, going places, singing, selling five or ten <laughs> albums. And so we work out what they're going to buy it for, which was astounding to me, you know. <laughs> I know. And I said, well, how many do you want? And they said, well, let's start with 600. That's I nearly, order. I nearly That's fell. Order. I nearly fainted. And this is no joke. I said, when do you want them? <laughs> they said, well, you can have them brought to blah, 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 the yep. warehouse. Yep. I personally myself delivered <laughs> the boxes to them. I heard that yeah. song over and over. I heard that song over and over and over. And it was, and I, I haven't said this to him, it's a pretty strong lyrically song. For Dan. Yeah. For then, I thought. <laughs> no, for Dan. For Dan. Now, well, for Dan, for too. But, but back then, it, it was strong. an in-your-face, defiant yes. uh, it, it kind it of was. A song. And his vocal performance, it, it still was one of my you favorite a, songs. You'll appreciate this, Dave. The verse said, one of the lines of stands in the verse, <laughs> I could chew you know your dip, snort, and cuss. <laughs> so Party on that till the sun comes I've up. There's better things in life, I'd rather Said you can't do this, you can't do that. You're bound by rules and restrictions. What a dreary life you Christians must observe. Well, I looked them in the eye and I said, You're wrong. I can do anything that turns me home. I can smoke till my eyes turn red and my face turns blue. And dip, snort and cuss, party all night until the sun comes up. But there's better things in life I'd rather do. I choose to be a Christian. I choose to be I a Christian. No wonder it worked in Texas. Listen, it did. And those anyway, I have a, I have a, another thing I just thought about. Dave and Don were the. Uh, the first people I co-wrote with, okay? Right. Do you remember that? I, I, I had never I co-written, and they, they, the record company says, you, you guys would benefit by writing, and I was so nervous to yeah. go in with somebody. Well, I, you know, I'm pretty intimidating. <laughs> he and, is very intimidating. But the, So the story that I remember was Don and I sang at a GMA songwriter showcase, and they told us it was just going to be writers. Well, it was, but... We get there and we're up on stage, and the writer next to us was Stephen Curtis Chapman. So oh like, we're not God. singers, and we got to sing next to him. But we did a song called "Why" that for him and oh recorded. My God. Oh. And if I remember right, you were in the room that day. I was in the room, and you said there was a an idea that you held back that if you yeah. ever got to write with those two guys. Yeah, and let me let me pick right. that up from here. All right. So you were going to Truth Church in I Fort Worth. Can be. Yep. Mark Hamby had preached a message. I don't remember the name of it, but he painted this picture of what it must have been like when 
Christ died and the veil was rent. He, first he went through the Old Testament and he talked about how when sin occurred, yeah. mercy would press her face up against uh, the veil, saying, okay. if I could just get out of here, I could help them. It was that Uzzah that reached out and touched the ark, and he's dead. And mercy's saying, oh, if I could just get out of here. I can, first of all, I cannot said, believe I'm sitting with Dan Dean and Dave Clark listening to these stories. And he said, he said, he gets to the part where Christ dies, and the veil <laughs> is rent from top to bottom, and mercy came running Running. out of that holy place. Wow. Right down to where you're standing tonight. And I remember I I got got chill bones. I I thought to myself, that's a song. All these years, I thought that you came up with that on your own. No. (laughs) (laughs) Too bad, Dave. Wow, that's powerful. All we knew about you going into that meeting was your single Turn Up the Radio, which didn't do a a thing for me on that kind of oh, level. It we was didn't a, write that. It was a Jeff Thurman song. Sure, but it was to please the DJs, and it accomplished it, everything. It did everything. In fact, I remember a conversation with Randy, Sean, and I where we were talking about, this has nothing to do with God, really. Yeah. Why are we doing this song? Yeah. And Randy but, said, they're not going to play this down oh, in Louisiana on oh, the radio. Yeah. But he they did wrong. one of the most brilliant marketing things. Yes. They took radio station call letters yep. and plugged it in and sent it out personal. I don't know if you remember that. I, I do. It was, it was like WNAZ. Turn up the radio, yep. Yep. 94.9 yes. FM, KLT. But it was everywhere. Everyone you was heard it everywhere. It. But there was a story, if I remember right, that now your your A and R director at the label was a lady that has has gone on to become a, a kind of a yeah, big deal she's herself. A big deal. What's she her name? Was then Jackie Patillo. Jackie Patillo. She loved is Jackie the Patillo. Head was, of GMA, the Gospel Music. Was our A and R director. Yes. At yeah. uh, and there was a story I remember that she wanted you to sing that at a Gaither thing. Yes, she did. She and told y'all us. Got, decided she not to. Is that right? She didn't want us to sing it. She told us this is what you're going to sing. And you did no. what? We got behind <laughs> no. closed doors, and we said, this is a Gaither crowd, and they're not going to like this song. This song's not going to hit home to them. We're that. not doing it. <laughs> and we flopped miserably. We sang three songs, and we didn't sing that one. And when we walked off stage, there was little short Jackie with steam coming I've out of her I've seen that ears. little short Jackie. And, uh, yeah. I've, I've and, seen and that. Didn't, there was didn't fire Gaither coming say... from in our eyes, and Gaither ended up saying something. Why didn't y'all sing that radio song? <laughs> okay, this is what I love hearing. Oh yeah. my goodness! So. And there, there was another pivotal person in that record company. His name was Stan Mosier. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And mm. and Stan is one of those names. If you know, you know, and if you don't, you should. Yeah. Jewel, has, treasure, treasure. Yeah. One of the most godly. Yeah, I love Stan. Oh. So we had written a, a song uh, and pitched it called Crucified with Christ. Yeah. And I'm at Estes Park, and I'm playing in the golf tournament. And back then, we didn't have cell phones, and we thought that was going to be a big song. And at the turn, we had pagers that we all wore. And there was a pager, and it was a message to call from Dan. So I go into the clubhouse. I, I still remember where we parked the cart. Stan's Mosier was my in my cart that day, of all people. And so I go in, and Dan tells me, I call him. He said, it doesn't look like Crucified's going to make it on the record because they say it's too inspo. 
Do you remember that? Mm. I do remember that it was hanging mm. in the balance. I don't mm. remember why they were saying it. But, but they said it was too church. And wow. I got back in the cart, and, and Stan, of all people that God put in that cart, that they, Stan said, uh, everything all right? I said, yeah. Mm. And in my mind, I'm just venting. I yeah. forgot he was with the label. And I said, they, we have a song called Crucified the Christ, and they said it's not going to make the record. And Stan stopped the cart, and he looked at me and he said, I'm going to tell you something. That's not only going to make the record, it's going to be one of the biggest songs they ever have. And it ended up being number one for the decade. Yeah, on the the song of the decade. tweaked our set and we do this little section where we sing a version of course of about six songs from the past and that's that's in there again and it's always received so well so 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 thank you dave well you know what dave and don you randy and uh you randy and don uh, wrote that song and i remember another time stamp for me i was in texas with my dad and he had gone on a trip with me. We met you and Becky <laughs> yeah, at a Denny's parking lot. And it was the day that she said it was her first day of freedom because Danielle was in kindergarten for the yep. first day. And she had always had kids at home. Mm-hmm. And she said, this is, this is my first day. I, I don't have any obligations. And you said, hey, I just got a mix. You want to hear it? And we sat in your car in the parking lot of Denny's. And I heard Crucified with Christ mm. for the first time. Yeah, it it was a huge song for us, and I'll never forget. Uh, you you know, we worked with a lot of producers over the years with the fourteen albums, but Paul Mills produced mm-hmm. that song. Wow! And when I got through, uh, a lot of producers don't get excited about much, but he was back there just. He was just gleeful like a little boy, jumping, and this is wow. unbelievable. He wow. was just killing There wasn't much school. budget, if I remember back oh, in the day. Oh, no. <laughs> no, the first Phillips, Craig, and Dean album was 25000 all in. And I'm talking photo shoot, marketing, the whole bit. You know what? We're back oh. there again. Yeah, we sure are. <laughs> but back then, because uh, you would hear records that were... $150,000, yeah. $200,000. You'd hear those oh, records yeah. all the and, time. And here's the funny thing is they had high expectations for us. Think of how many bookstores were in the country at that time, a lot of bookstores. Oh, yeah. And they sent oh, yeah. 6,000 nationwide, 6,000 units. So a lot of stores probably didn't even yeah. get one, yeah. you know. Wow. And if they got one, they got one or two max. But when it hit, but it once, hit. When it hit. <laughs> once it began yes, to happen yes. for Phillips Cognine, yep. you couldn't turn on yep. the radio yep. without 
Yeah, radio was so good to us. Really and in were. particular, I mean, John Rivers. Yep. Yes. Yep. Oh, John yeah. Rivers would play everything. Yep. In- instantly, he yep. would put it yep. in the rotation. And um, he liked us. God and so gave did Houston, us favor with Houston, him. Texas loved I mean, Oh, yeah. Everybody loved yeah. you. But Houston was great. I remember going great. to KSBJ, yeah. which is one of the Houston. Seattle yep. loved us. Yep. Minneapolis, yep. St. Yep. Paul. Yeah, the big stations. John we had, it. if I remember right, 96, we had um, Mercy came running, mm. went number one in February, and it was in May that Crucified went number one of the same year. And, you, I mean, you, yeah. don't, you don't ever have that anymore. Yeah, you never have... Think about this. Our first album, uh, and I don't remember exactly what charts, but it really is irrelevant when you think about number sure. ones, right? Yeah. But we had five songs released to radio on the very first album. Wow. Four went number one, Golly. and one went number three. Favorite song, Turn Up the Radio, both went number one on adult contemporary right. and this is the life went number three right so that's that's, yeah. that's just you would never hear that today yeah, the interesting thing about that and i remember where they they sent don and i up to uh just delaware ohio somewhere right in there at a uh hosanna conference do you remember that and and we we were doing our homework because we didn't know you guys and all i knew was you and randy and Sean were three completely different personalities. And I thought, I don't know how this is going to work. But we went, and and I sat there about 20 minutes in the concert. I went, I get it. You guys found a way. And, and because you weren't pitched as a group originally, you were just three kids who knew each other. And if I remember right, Randy pitched a solo project, and they already had too many soloists, and they said, yep. So he hey, called we, his buddies. We all pitched solo projects. Yeah, I had just right. been up to sing at the the uh, at uh, what do they call it? Gospel music new artist showcase, and everybody told me, "Oh man, you're going to get signed." Everybody sings here, get signed. There were about five mm. of us on the program. Mm. It was GMA week, and I went home and nothing. <laughs> I didn't hear from anybody. <laughs> I told my wife, "Okay," because I had been traveling with that solo project I did for probably. I don't know, two years, and I'm saying everywhere the door would open. And I told her, I say, okay, I'm just going to quit chasing after that dream because I was in my 30s already at this wow. point. And, and didn't you guys, like you you had to put in five grand or something? To, what was the story about your first record? That, oh, like a demo well, or no, something? No, we, we, we weren't even thinking record label. We were thinking when we first came together, we – uh, our idea was let's do an album. We'll each throw in five grand and we'll travel just enough to pay for it. And we had enough contacts. We thought we could do that. The first three songs we did just to see what we sounded like. Cause we had no idea was, was a favorite song of all midnight oil that Sean wrote. And, um, a song that didn't make it on any albums, Real Country, that Randy wrote called Once More with Feeling. We went down to the radio station basement again and put them on a demo, and we didn't know it, but Randy sent every record company he of could think he of a copy, <laughs> and it was horrible. It was just terrible. 
There was no auto tune, and we spent about an hour doing three songs. Wow. And we get a we get a call back from Stan. Stan mm. says, "Why don't you guys come up here and do a a showcase for us?" I went to it. Did you at Christ Church? Yes, I sure did. And wow. and I sure we did. said, "What's a showcase?" Yep. <laughs> and he said, "Well, just s- do a concert for us." And I said, "I." We well, Randy was talking to him. Said we only know three songs. <laughs> we'll learn a few more. So when we went, I think we had twelve songs, and it was a cold. I remember it. <laughs> night. I think it was in December. I, I know and, it was uh, winter time. I remember that. We were in cardigan sweaters, yeah. and uh, it bombed. We we all felt like it bombed because we were, we didn't realize we were singing to a Nashville yeah. record company crowd, and nobody gets excited. They all. <laughs> I remember looking out there, and Stan was playing with some baby. And I'm thinking to myself, listen to the music. I've paid my way to come up here and sing for you. Quit playing with that baby. But you know what? You those those early radio things bought you a lot of yeah. access, yes. and it bought you a lot of uh, trust equity with the Christian music oh, yeah. community. And everybody yeah, wanted so. to, wanted in on that. Yeah, I'll tell you another really funny story is our first album. We, we were so naive as to how the business worked and anything. It, in that album, I think uh, it was like within, I don't know, six or eight months had sold 150,000 units. That's huge. That yeah. huge. A new artist selling 150,000. Well, exactly we, we didn't right. know anything, yeah. so we, yeah. we asked to meet with – the three guys. Have I told you this story? Mm-mm. We asked to meet with Jeff Mosley, who was yep. there, yep. Stan Moser, and Daryl Harris. Yep. Yep. We need yep. a meeting. Yep. Yep. And they, I'm sure they're thinking, oh, my God, these guys are going to come in here and ask for a bunch of money. And So we go to this meeting. They're all in their suits. and uh, So we get the general talk out of the way and then. Randy says, we just we just wanted to meet and ask if it's possible that we could get an extra five grand on the next album. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Well, we've talked now about how when we walked away from that table, they were high-fiving. Yeah. We love these guys. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. The best. You thought you'd beat them good. That's oh, the you, gotta, best. you got five more grand. And, the and they ended up, seriously. Yeah. I think it was over two hundred grand they spent on the next two albums. Yeah. That's the way it was in those days. Yeah. If you had some success, well, those and a good lot of it was they were waste. Good. They were honestly. good men. Those are good men. Roland Lundy, yeah. I, 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 Daryl Harris. You can't ask for better people than Jeff. Oh, Rosalie they're great people. Stan, but there were some really interesting dynamics yeah. beyond the just just great records that all three of you were pastors, mm-hmm. and I yeah. think. Didn't you all grow up in parsonages? You... Oh, we all three are pastors' kids. In fact, right. Randy's a third-generation pastor. Right. Um, I have I had four brothers. One is past, but all of them are in ministry. Wow. And we just had this rich heritage. We were church boys, grew up in church, hearing stories and that's that's where our songs came from you know sermons or something yes, we'd hear yeah. so it was a very there was never any doubt that we were 
Christian singers, you know. And that, in that age, there was kind of this thing of you don't want to talk about church too much. You kind yeah. of want to, you know what I mean? It was that whole delve into the pop realm a little. Right. And our sound was definitely back then would be considered pop, you know, yeah. uh, boy band. Yeah. But Harmony. another interesting aspect of that to me was back in that day, well, even now, that when artists are out traveling, Sunday is the money day because that's where you got your built-in crowd. And you guys were home. Yeah. You were yeah, back we, in your churches. I will never forget about mm. three or four months after the first single had released, we're in a van, we're driving somewhere to sing, and Randy goes, you know, guys— this thing may take off. What are we going to do if it really takes off and is successful? And that day we said, we will not leave our churches. We will stay on staff. We'll stay plugged in. And to this date, I'm still still part of the same church yeah. as in 1991 when we wow. signed Sean is now the pastor of that wow. church wow. that he was still part of, and he had already been there 10 years or so. And Randy planted a church out of the church he was a part of, so he's been right. in Austin that whole time in ministry. It's pretty phenomenal. I don't know of any story like it. Another thing that made you guys unique was a lot of groups, like for him, had Mark Harris was yep. their writer. Yep. A lot of groups had one writer. You guys had three singers and three writers, and... And Sean writes in Christ Alone for Michael English. Yeah. And that wasn't even your hit. And a lot of people still don't know he was the he was the co writer with Don Cook on that. Was there was there ever a a tension about who's gonna get Oh yes. <laughs> it, and I mean don't obviously don't tell what you don't want to, but but I can't imagine I know too many writers that had to be an issue at some point. Oh yeah, it was every album. I'm not saying we got all bent out of shape, but we, we kind of came mm. up with a formula and we would take all the songs we had been presented that yeah. either we had written or co-written or had been given to us. And there were five of us that voted. Mm. And what would generally happen would be there were about five or six songs that would always be on everybody's list. And then it was just a matter of fighting for your song you wanted because that. they all came in at about yeah. the same level, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah, and boy, I can remember being sorely disappointed, and I know the other guys felt that too—that a song didn't make it, and so, some that I've written with you and, and Don didn't make it. That I they should have. They should have. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, did you? I've always wondered this, but so you—the five votes—you had the the three, you know, of each of you, and yeah. then you had the record guy, and then you had. We had the producer. That's right, the producer. And we and the had the A and R person. So, were you ever trying to get them on your team to get your vote before the meeting? I think all of us were doing that, actually. <laughs> you know, because you feel passionate yeah. about your babies. And You're exactly right. You don't want to. Yeah. You want to see them on the project, sure. and yeah. plus, it's it, especially in those days, it was financially rewarding. Yeah. Even if it was a slot yeah. number nine, You're exactly right, or ten. Yes. Yep. You still got the same pay as if it were the first cut yeah. on the album. So yeah. it was it was a financial thing. It was, I mean, we didn't write f for financial reasons, but 
it it made a difference. It sure does. Yeah. Do, do yeah. you remember? Uh, you you may not remember this at all, but it was a it was a pretty fascinating day. You guys were down at it was like soundstage or somewhere, and and there were three ISO booths, like piano and you know all those rooms, and each of you were in a different room. And Don and I came down and we went from one room to the other helping finish songs for what you were in town to record. Yeah. That, <laughs> that was cutting it close. That's every writer's dream, though. Yeah. And one of the uh, songs that came out, what was the big one that Sean and Don wrote? Um, this is How It Feels to Be Free? or No, it was... Uh, There's 14 albums. About a, <laughs> a, a, moment, a time, time um, such as this. Um, a time such as this? Oh, I love that song. But that was written... That day, it was. They were finishing that up, and you guys always brought. You knew what you wanted to say, and and I remember um, sitting in a in Don Cook's little writer's room, and everybody in the in the room had seen the movie <laughs> Saving Private Ryan, except me. <laughs> but but back in that day, they would yep. kind of look at me yep. like, okay, give us some lyrics. Yeah, yeah. So they described that opening scene. You remember that? Mm-hmm. And I, to this day, I've never seen it. But based on their description, I wrote a verse. Do you yep. remember the verse? Oh, yeah. Uh, standing on a hillside where mm-hmm. the river meets the sea, white mm-hmm. crosses without number line Great the fields song. of peace, Gosh. and each one a silent witness staring back at me. Every cross a story of another place and time where young men thought it worthy to give my, their life for mine. I mean... That was the scene of the old man walking yep, through. Uh, Freedom's never free. Freedom's never free. And each one a silent witness staring back at me. And every cross a story of another place and time where young men thought it worthy to give their life for mine. And for the sake of honor, lift their dreams behind. And for the price they pay, I'm forever in their day. Their memory will not die, cause I will not forget. I will stand and hold my head up high. I will dedicate my life to the glory of the one. At that wow. point, you, you just, you guys knew, but there was, there was always, and I want to peel this back a little bit, if it's okay, Dusty, yeah, there was, this is, no. there was a undercurrent, you had this church ministry focus in all your lyrics, but then you, you leaned a lot toward the military thing, and we did, and, and if I can, if I, if I can interject a personal story here, when, when Don Cook and I first went to the Benson Company, we were meeting with John Bark was a publisher, and John said, "We we take Stefan and Don." John would say, 
and he'd quote this lyric that some writer had given him about blood spilling on the Belgian snow. And <laughs> and so that it was like, yeah. so every song Don and I would take him, we'd say, I know this doesn't have blood on the Belgian snow. And that, that became our, well, <laughs> when we finally end up writing with Dan, we say something to John Barker about it. And, and John goes, he's the guy that gave me the tape about the, and it was it was Dan Dean's song that we had been that's making fun of, and not made the song. Fun of. That they're mocking you. Yeah, that's funny. That's but, funny. Yeah, but that, the angle there was that that song was on that first project. That's what I was going to uh, ask. Dusty. That yeah. was that uh, was the title song for a dream. Yeah. Uh, that's and so. tell tell the, us what the, made uh, what the, made that personal to you. Well, my father, uh, mm. a true American hero. Mm. Fought in World War II, uh, used to take us to the tree where he kissed my mother goodbye. They weren't married at the time. It said bye and went off, ended up going into paratrooper school, made 21 combat jumps, uh, a lot of them at night where you don't see where you're landing, and shot three times, shouldn't have lived, ended up. In fact, I brought a little letter with me. I'd love, uh, I wondered if you that had that. He had sent to us boys, mm. and it says, January 3rd, 1945 is forever ingrained in my mind. It was the most terrible day I ever spent in battle. I saw men die before me, beside me, and behind me. As one of my friends talked, that I talked to in the holidays said, Bill, I don't tell people how bad it was because they won't believe me. He told me he picked up the dead, which was his job. His job was to register the dead, and he picked up 220 men who had died that day. I've spent time weeping today, remembering my friends who wanted to live, but their eyes were closed forever in this life. And here I sit 62 years later, if I figured correct, drinking a good cup of coffee, living with my lover for life, and thanking God for my five great sons. I will be in church tonight giving thanks to Jesus. Goodness gracious. I remember remember you sent me a copy of that. uh, So when you sang songs like... uh, this is how it feels to be free, and freedom is never free. And For a dream. Yes. We actually did that song on our first Phillips, Craig, and Dean album, too. I'm going to go home and listen to and, that. Um, <laughs> Man. That, you know, my dad passed away. It's been about eight years ago now. <clears throat> but still one of the greatest heroes of my life. And his influence, he told me one time, He's got, you know, he's got these four boys that are all touching people's lives. And now he's got, I figured it up the other day, I think it's seven or eight grandkids that are full-time ministry. And he told me one time, he said, uh, Dan, it never was in the plan of God for me to pastor a really large mega church. I've just always had, you know, a church of probably the biggest congregation was about, I don't know, two or three hundred people. And I said, Dad. You're so wrong. Everybody that I've touched with my music, everybody that your sons have touched in their churches and your grandkids, that's your congregation. They have your fingerprint. And 
uh, he he was just an a humble, people-loving guy who never met a stranger, uh, loved God. God had drastically, in fact, the day that I read to you about is the day he surrendered his life to God. He, he buried his head in the snow, the Belgian snow, Dave. And as people were dying all around him, he buried his head and he said, God, I don't know you. I don't profess to know you. I haven't lived my life for you, but I promise you, if I can get out of this alive and I get home, the rest of my life will be yours. Wow. Wow. And he came home. And he bought a little farm and he tried to start farming. And mom told me he would be on the tractor and he would turn at the end of the row and she would see sitting out there crying could not forget his promise to God gray clouds hung like a misty shroud on the battlefield that day meadow was strong with the heroes who had fallen by the way and a soldier cried as he watches his blood spill out on the Belgian snow and he wonders if he'll live till the morning light die here in this bitter cold too young to die Could there be a cause that was worthy of such a costly sacrifice Then he thinks about a home in the Texas Pines and a lady he loved to see And something inside says it's worth a price This fight for liberty seeking and praying trying to figure out what God wanted for his life and he was in a church he didn't have anybody to mentor or guide him or you know he's just a country boy no education is is the last grade he ever went through was the 11th grade that's as far as high school went then and he was in this church down at the altar and they had told him you don't have to come down here every Sunday Bill Mm. he just knew there was something he had to do he just didn't know what Mm. and he didn't have anybody to guide him and give him guidance and he was in that altar praying and a guy came by in his car and the Holy Spirit spoke to this guy driving down the road and said there's a man in that church in the altar that you need to go connect with He stops the car. He goes in. My dad's down at the front, the only one in the altar crying, and he goes down and tells him what the Lord has spoken to him. And, of course, this church are not too happy that he's proselyting right out of the altar. (laughs) So they send him out, and he's as he's driving home, 
this guy who ended up being a preacher that had tremendous influence in his life was standing on the side of the road and flagged my dad down and said, God wants me to talk to you. Wow. And he became the instrument that really got my dad plugged into ministry. And it's quite wow. a story. Wow. Man. And, and Dusty and I have, have we've, we've talked about these, these intersections that you can't plan, no, no, these no, things that, no, no. that define you. And it's been a, it seems like it's been a constant theme in almost every one of these, these podcast episodes that, that people come in and you go, after I hear their backstory, yeah. I understand the stage story a lot more. And you've, you guys, the, you know, that undercurrent of authenticity whether it was the church, it was it was the military, it was. Uh, uh, and do you do you remember every year at our house on New Year's Eve? And I normally I'll send you a text and say, "Hey, I'm celebrating. You you want to share the story of what happened? I think it was 2002. Yeah, 2003. Three. Uh, my wife and I had made plans with all the kids. We don't want you on the highways tonight. Come home, and we're going to bring some food in, and we'll just have a good time with the family. Our kids were all still in school, I think, at that time. And uh, we're driving down the road probably five minutes from our house, and all of a sudden I see this flash. We later find out there's a young man that just got his a brand-new stereo system that he had gotten for Christmas installed in his car, and he came right over into my lane, and it was a head-on collision. And uh, ended up, I, I had some minor stuff. You never know it's minor at the time, and my wife... Uh, she immediately she thought the car was on fire because the airbags exploded and there's dust and yeah. she was trying to get out of the car and all of a sudden there's a a person at her window and the lady said and we both remember this as clear as day wasn't you know being addled from the wreck but this lady said I'm a nurse honey you're hurt don't move stay still don't move the ambulance is on its way and later when we asked, nobody remembers that lady or even a lady being there. But my wife had broken her neck and back. And had she moved, it was the Christopher Reeve fracture yeah, of the right, neck. Yeah, yeah. Had she moved, it could have snapped and she'd have been paralyzed or even worse, could have died. That was the first miracle. The second miracle is my father-in-law and, and mother-in-law were down south. They had bought a... Uh, RV and they were down there camping out and in the middle of the night the night before my father-in-law has a dream and he dreams that we were in a wreck and he was at the church in his dream he was at the church facilitating a new pastor coming in because I had been killed in this wreck and he woke his wife up and said we got to pray for the kids mm. Something is really weird. I had this strange dream. So he prays. The third thing is there's a lady in our church is driving down, and she passes the wreck. She doesn't know who in the wreck, but she hears a voice saying, 
pull over and pray, you know those people in that car. She said, I, I didn't even turn to see who it was. I just pulled the cover and I started praying and covering whoever was in that car. She had no idea until two days later that it was us and the accident. And we get to the hospital, and they're more concerned about treating me because I was bleeding and had some, some external stuff. Hers was all internal. Mm-hmm. And... I saw them go pale when they finally got her in and, and did an x-ray. They wouldn't touch her until a, a doctor got in there. It was a scary thing, yeah. very scary. God protected wow. us. Yeah. But those those moments that you go yeah. through, it changes how... Wow. It changes how you walk back on stage, and and it changes... There are so many things that uh, I have just watched through the years, and I've had a, a pretty good seat to to watch how those things have impacted you. And and then you went through something a few years ago that uh, I don't know if you want to share any about that or not. But um, you, yeah, I uh, this was it's been eleven years ago now, believe it or not. But uh, my father had prostate cancer and he ended up dying of prostate cancer so they had told me your chances increased by 50 percent since you've had a relative so i was very diligent every every year january of every year go in and get the test and the blood test psa and uh i'll never forget one year i went in and it was a certain level and the next year, it had gone up more than a point. And he said, you know, that's concerning, but we'll wait another year. Next year, it had gone up another point. And he said, we need to do a biopsy. So I'm at the house on a Saturday morning, and I look down, and it's it's him calling. And I thought, now that's weird. He's calling me on a Saturday morning. And I picked up the phone. He said, I, I just need to tell you your test we're positive and you need to come back in and we need to talk about treatment. And it was just like getting punched in the gut, you know, uh, even though, you know, all the things, prostate cancer, if you're going to have cancer, this is the cancer you need to have mm. when, when you've had a dad that's, you know, mm. um, and I, uh, there's a song came out of that experience that went on the album. I choose to believe, never give up hope. God is good and he's in control. And, you know, I went through that whole surgery, radical surgery and the recovery process and out of church for about a month. Um, and 11 years ago and I'm still cancer free. That's awesome. So... Thank God for that. But all of those things, Dusty and I have talked about how we, we both came from completely different backgrounds as far as the way we were raised yeah. and how it made us approach what we do and how we interact with, yeah. with the ministry partners. Yeah. Um, yeah. What we took away from that. And those things have made you more compassionate. I, so. I just believe I've, I've watched it. Yeah, it's funny you should say this because today, this morning, mm. uh, I was on the phone with a guy that just got his diagnosis. Mm. 
found out yesterday I have prostate cancer. Mm. And, you know, I hope I never go through something without using it to right. help other people cross the bridge, you know, faith. And uh, I've really talked to literally probably a hundred men since that, including two in our church that shortly after my cancer decided to go get tested and found out they had cancer and it probably saved their lives, honestly, because they weren't going to get tested. But you know how, you know how to talk to them. So, so everybody knows Philip Dean. your, your voice is the one that is, is one of those few iconic (laughs) voices that I just told him that a few minutes ago, everybody, everybody knows. And, and, it would be real easy. You retired recently from the pastorate, and now your senior pastor is your son. Son. <laughs> so I'd love to. I'd love to hear what you wish you could tell him, but can't because he's the boss now. But uh, it would be easy for you to say, "Hey, we've 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 had more success than we could have dreamed." And a few years ago, uh, I was in Dallas. And we sat down at Uncle Julio's, which is not uncommon for you. Mm. And you begin to lay out a vision for the next chapter when most people would be looking for the last chapter. And I'd, I'd love, I don't know if you'd plan on sharing this. And Dusty, love I'd love this. you to weigh in on this as I well. But mm. I'd love for you to talk to us about what you shared with me that day and what has already happened with that. And maybe what, what's, what's coming well, I, as I said earlier, I love I love pastors. Been around pastors all my life. My he, my heroes have always been pastors. Uh, and I can remember as a kid uh, sitting around the table. My dad would have in a guest speaker, and he would be at the table. And I wouldn't want to go to bed. I want to hear the stories, and I want to hear he preached this when, and you know, this happened, and. It was just exciting to me. And then all my brothers, you know. So ministry and and preachers, it's been, it's been my life. Then I got in a group singing with two preachers who had dads that were preachers. Randy had a granddad that was a preacher. And um, so I think I have a pretty good handle on the pulse of what pastors go through during the ebb and flow of ministry. And I know it's a hard job. It's really a hard job. People look and they see what they see, but, um, behind the curtain, man, it's tough. Sometimes think about what, what your job would be like out there. If you had to inspire and motivate people to the degree that, it's going to be their giving and their contributions that make whatever you're doing go or fail. Mm. And, um, and your salary is contingent on that and everything else. And so I've, I, I have, I told my wife, I feel really a burden. I, I saw this, especially during COVID too, because yeah. man, it was like you couldn't get on the right side of, anything i mean mask no mask somebody's gonna be mad at you and if you do it if you wear a mask if you take them off too early there's people mad it was just a mess and uh i also read during that time barna said 
42 percent of pastors in america considered quitting yeah this the number is still high it's very it's staggering how many pastors uh, are considering getting out of ministry it's just hard yeah. it's hard so i i told my wife we're going to try to start something called shepherd's rest and what we do is we'll take three pastor or ministry couples we do music people too because they're they're ministers and we take them away we pay for everything and we stay in a really nice place and we feed them and we love on them and i don't go in there with any agenda i don't Mm. go i I, when i approach them about attending i say you know i'm not here to go i'm gonna give you five ways to grow your church or it's just you're getting away. You're just going to get away and relax and rest. We're going to have some fun stuff planned for you. Uh, and if something comes up you want to talk about, we'll talk about it. If not, we're just going to pray for you, pour into you uh, with encouragement, and hopefully you'll leave really refreshed. Yeah. So we've had our third one now. I love it. And they've all been great, all been different. All had a different flavor. Early planning stages of doing a project. And I have to thank you, Dave, because you were the one that said you need to do a solo project. Mm. I don't even know how that came up. I don't remember. Because I wouldn't even have thought to of me, that. that's one of the easiest pieces of advice I've given in 50 years. But, but I... You do that, yes. I, um, so I've been writing for it, planning for it, and... About, I think we're about at the place we're about ready to start. And the reason I even bring that up is that every penny mm. that is made from the sale of any product or streaming or whatever is going to go toward Shepherd's Rest and helping out artists and pastors. Um, I would love to do three a year. Man, I. Three records or three no, retreats? three, three, three retreats <laughs> yeah. a year. I, I and people have told me, you need to have 25 couples. Yeah. No, you lose no. something. You yeah. lose the I intimacy. Love, yeah. And what I've what yeah. I have discovered I is if I can connect, yeah. which I can, I can connect sure with people. I'm an up. encourager. That's yes, my, my greatest gift yeah. is that is that of a Barnabas. Right. I just I love people. And if I can connect, I'll develop a relationship. That will continue. This past Sunday, we've had six ministry couples where they're pastors, and I texted every one of them before church just to say, hey, thinking about you this morning. They have texted me back over the years now stories of successes they've had, and one of them has a son that's been going through some difficult times. That's the object. Is sure. to, because the biggest thing I see pastors facing is loneliness. Yeah. They don't trust very no, easily. No. They don't. For for all the right reasons. Yeah. I mean they they it's a hard trust once you lose that to Yeah, absolutely. But, but you look back again, all this story that you've been sharing for the last half hour is has prepared you. Yeah. I can't think of a better intersection to take all of these pieces. Yeah. And yeah. even you said, you know, it's ministers. Well, you grew up in a, in a minister's yeah. home. You've been one. Your son's one. You know that perspective. But I love that you open that up to artists as well. Yeah. 
What I what I think is so interesting, I because you know I love to encourage people. I love the, the this is my heart. This is my heart of what he's talking about too. And um, I do feel like artists. I do feel like pastors. Yes, but artists. But what I love, what I love, love, love about all of this today is um, they've been at the height of their career, Phillips, Craig, and Dean, Dan Dean. But God still, they're still, I think right. artists, and we're, we're still young. <laughs> I love to, I, I do young. believe we still are young. <clears throat> but I believe, I've told this to numerous other artists who I've had the joy of working with for 40 years. You have more to say now, Dan, than you did. The songs will go on. Those are always going to speak to people's lives. But the ministry part of this, you have more to say now than you ever did. I look at Point of Grace. I look at Reba Rambo. I could name you Greg Long, Jana. They all have something more. If I I could get any artist or any of the newer artists to say, go spend a day with Dan Dean. Go spend a couple hours with Dan Dean. Go go listen to a Dave Clark about writing. Go listen to a Reba Rambo about writing. That, to me, is what has – this has prepared you for this, where you're at. Truth. Mm. It's the truth. This is this has oh, been awesome, man. Um, <laughs> now, see, I, I feel like I've, I've uh, no been doing all the questions. <clears throat> uh, the other night we did something. When we found out Dan was coming to town, yeah. And, yeah. and there was something already planned, yeah. and we invited him. Yeah. And, and something people wouldn't know about you. Uh, Lanny Wolf was there. There were several yeah. artists: Reba Rambo, Billy Blackwood. Yeah. I mean, you, Josh Singletary. You just go down the list. They, everybody was there that night. I Jaron told, Davis. But I told this to Dan, and this is—I mean, this is the truth. This is the truth. I mean, Dan, and he's so nice and so unassuming. But when he walked in, I loved having the artist said, "Dan Dean is here." Dan Dean for, I mean, we had, there were some great, Lanny's a legend. Yes. Reba's a legend. These are people, the interest. Lanny and Reba, I love you if you're listening to this, but when you told me you were bringing Dan Dean, I'm not joking. <laughs> but the, because the was, connection of Dan and uh, Lanny is. And Jaron and Karen yeah. Harding, Jerry, which, Jerry. and even myself, I knew him from my background. Yeah. I knew him from going to Jackson. I'd seen him at music conferences. You came uh, to those music conferences. I sure did. I was oh the. I was God. the. I was. I had left the organization. Do you remember <laughs> when Lanny had me dressed up in a robe and I sang, "He's alive." He's alive. He's alive. It's on the. It's on the one of those choir records. It is. I think. It is. It is. <laughs> but Lanny Wolf was your teacher. Yeah, he was. And that he that's was. a, a yeah, piece that was, gets lost yeah. in the big story. No. And hey. he's Lanny. So those people are so proud of Dan Dean. I mean, Reba loved sure. Dan. They, you probably all knew him when you were younger. When Reba and them were younger in the uh, well, I didn't know them because I I was I just idolized them. Yeah. You know, that's uh, awesome. I love hear him sing and just my mouth hung open the entire yeah. concert. I loved watching Dan. Now he's I know they've had communication because we were at the GMA thing a couple of years ago, but I loved. When Reba saw him, the stuff she said to him, but I love Dan saying to her in front of Dottie, Leonard, and Ed and our team, he said, your version of Somewhere Over the Rainbow, because it is wow. one of the greatest versions. It's of, uh, absolutely it, it's, killer. It is. Wow. And she, that I just love it when artists pay homage and respect yes. to these other artists. Yeah. And that, to me, was such a moment. It was so simple. Yeah, I can remember. This is a truth. I got that album yeah of course it was vinyl in those yeah. days 
and I laid in front of the stereo. Yeah. Was, I would listen to the whole thing yeah. through, but then I would play Somewhere Over the Rainbow yeah. over yeah. and over. That's awesome. Magnificently <laughs> produced, and her voice, God. Yeah. I think she won. Oh, first, she female, won? first female, uh, first contemporary Christian music album. They had to develop it. They didn't know what it was. Yeah, and yeah. didn't she win female artist she, of the year she won, or something? There were several things she won yeah. that year. That was a pretty special night watching because all the different circles of your wife. <laughs> my wife <laughs> had always Cl- wanted to meet Reba have, Rambo. And I loved the connect, Dan. Yeah. If you could have seen the connection, I don't know. It was just so cool because she that was her first first yeah. time to meet Reba. I just love that these artists are still impacting life. And Dan fans did. of each other. Yeah, and they're fans of each other. That's what I love. And Reba was a huge and is a huge Dan Dean, Phillips, Craig and Dean fan. And I love that. We I, talked about I didn't it really know that. I, that yeah. stuns oh. me. That really stuns me. I'll tell you who me. else loved your music was Dottie Rambo. We, I would, what? I would always bring Get out her, of town. No, I would always bring her over. The newest, You have got to be no, kidding me. I would bring her over and play. Now, there was things, there was groups that I'd play for that I could never, some great groups that she didn't care for. But I would play, especially the inspirational, the light contemporary, and she would talk about these groups, that, that those, those are effective groups. She'd always say, those are effective groups. That's a, that's a great song. And Phillips Craig and Dean was one of those. Oh, songs. my that goodness. Cool? That is so cool. Speaking of influence. I've never heard no, that. No, that's the truth. I mean, amazing. that's the truth. Before we, before we yep. end this thing. I know. we got to end So this. it's been, I, if my memory's right, 30 years next year, you wrote a little song mm. with Joy Becker. Yes. And it's, I think it came out in 94. I don't, I'm not sure when it came out, Dave. It was on our second album. So our first album was released in 92. So wow. 93, maybe. And it's the song that every writer in town wishes they had written, and you did. And it's called? Want to be just like you because he wants to be like me. Now, 30 years later, uh, yeah, it just went number one yes, I, on, a, yeah. on a bluegrass sure national did. chart, right? Sure oh, did. I love those guys. Chosen Road. Yes. Yeah. It <laughs> was, and Jonathan. Oh, it was such them. a joy for me to reach out to Joy, send her a, an email and say, Joy... It's been a long time, but you got another number one song. Lord, I want to be just like you, because he wants to be just like me. I want to be a holy example for his innocent eyes to see. Help me be a living Bible, Lord, that my little boy can I want to be just like you, because he wants to be like me. That is just awesome. That makes me so that's that's a full circle of of you and your artist. I heard him sing it this summer at, uh, I went to that 40 Days at the Ark. And when they sang that song. He sent me a video of that, by the way. Watching the, because I love, I'm a song man, you know that, Dave. Watching the audience. It was just so cool to hear some of them sing, the other ones wiping tears. That's, that's me. Straight. Just that to me is what it's all about. It's what it's and when about. I first met Chosen Road, those guys, and I, oh. I love all of them. Oh, way. You know, They're I'm a big Dan, fan. I thank know. you for hooking me up yeah. there. They, you, well, but they said, you know Dan Dean? <laughs> that's exactly, I mean, that literally yeah. was their reaction. All, I'm people thinking, say that. Yeah. Yes. 
Hey, hey this it. has been awesome. This is royalty um, in our room. Dan, thank you so much. Yeah. And Thanks, I, guys. I just when this record comes out, we wanna we wanna get in on on helping tell the word. Will you let us? Thank you very yeah, of course. Thank Lord, you. I wanna be just like you. Cause he wants to be just like me. I wanna be a holy example for his innocent eyes to see. We're glad you were here for this episode of I Love to Tell the Story. Be sure and tune in next time for more with Dusty Wells and Dave Clark. It'll just keep getting better and better. Wait and see. See you next time.